This morning we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ with many different backgrounds and many different views and different ideas and thinking. Um, I'm always uh, amazed that communication can even exist between people because we have so many different perspectives. Uh, different words have different vocabulary definition for us. As we look at Matthew 3, 1 to 12, we look at a scripture that's really quite easy for us to have the same understanding of this scripture. And I think I'm going to go ahead and cheat and use this taller uh, stand. Um, the title of this, Quantity or Quality of Life, I think speaks to all of us in asking us the question of um, how we deal with life in general. I've always been amazed that we Christians like to use uh, terminology that would imply that our value system would say the most important thing for us is the quality of life that we live. And yet, if we're not careful, we find ourselves functioning just like the lost world around us in being concerned more with the quantity than the quality. The period of time, anything to extend our lives a little bit longer, just like everybody else. We have a great talk, but we have a, a reality that we also are most concerned with how long we're going to be around. Um, I've heard many different people use many different reasons and rationale for why they would or would not like to share a testimony or come in front of brothers and sisters and share what they have to say. Uh, some are very anxious to do so. Some are very, very frightened of the idea of standing up in front of someone else. But when we look at John and his testimony, a man who probably only lived to the age of about 32 we see someone who said, I know why I was created and I'm going to do nothing other than that which I'm here made created to do. I think it's important that you and I also ask ourselves, why did God make me? What am I here to do? What am I supposed to accomplish with my life? My father died when he was 48. I was just short of 12 years of age. I know I remember asking the question of God, why is such a short life? Why did he have to leave now? I need him around. When I look at John and I have to look at this and think about Jesus, maybe 33, 34, John, 32, 33, they were cousins. Yet we look in the Scripture, and his life was not a long life, but his life was a focused life. We talk as if that was very, very important to us. Some people will say, I don't want to share my testimony in front of other people, because after all, my testimony is too boring. It's not exciting. I can't say that I used to be a drug user and then suddenly, miraculously, God stepped in my life and I long, no longer use drugs because I never did use drugs. So my testimony is too common. I grew up in church and that was, you know, not exciting enough. 
I can't show how God did amazing things in that sense. Some people have different reasons for why they're reluctant to share their testimony. And yet, one of the things we need to do is to ask ourselves, why would we ever think that our inaction in telling others about Christ is acceptable? What would ever make us get comfortable with the idea that our cousins, our friends, people we come in contact with, maybe our relatives, our our father, our mother, our children, should never hear about Jesus from us. My goodness, I've been surprised over the years the number of times that I've heard people say, oh, I'm trying to bring so-and-so to church so he'll hear the gospel. And I keep wondering, why don't you tell him about the gospel now? Why wait till Sunday to drag him to church to maybe hear the gospel? Tell him about Christ in your life. Today we're looking at John. John's testimony. John the Baptist. We see a man that has grown up dealing with being a country boy. He's happy out in the countryside, in the wilderness. We know that John was um, not necessarily the most snappy of dressers. Wearing camel's hair, a leather belt, eating locusts, things that in every way showed he was a common man. Indeed, if anything, on the poor side of things. His educational resume Nowhere did it talk about he had three doctor's degrees and he had also made it through these various universes. Those kind of references are not here. All we see is a man who dared to open his mouth and do the job that he felt like he had been called to do. As we look at John, I'd like for us to think about the testimony that he presents us. And how it challenges us. When I was in college, I was in a, a theater production that we did where uh, I got to have the joy of playing the role of Doubting Thomas. And um, I really learned how to doubt pretty well. But uh, Doubting Thomas was always an interesting individual because when we look in the New Testament, we see the various apostles. Some of them are very strong. Some of them are very bold. But Doubting Thomas, even to the very end, was asking the question, Jesus, is it really you? Show me. Give me some proof. A lot of times with your life and with mine, we function like Doubting Thomas. We're never quite satisfied with what Jesus has shown us. But in verse 5, as we look in chapter 3, we can see that it must have been a unique or interesting uh, idea to go out to him and find this, this man, John. According to, the scripture, the people, according to the Scripture, the people traveled a significant distance out into the wilderness. It's not like when we look at him, we're saying he came from the most beautiful building in town. He wasn't worried about, nor were the people, the fact that it did or did not have the good air conditioner working that week or that the heater functioned well. 
He wasn't concerned about the environment. He was out in the wilderness, and even in the midst of being in a less than desirable location, people found him. So it wasn't that he had... He did just about everything I can remember studying about and teaching about when you talk about church growth. I can remember in Hong Kong one day talking about church growth. One of the big issues is deals with transportation. And we were looking at some books from overseas, and it was talking about one of the keys to a good church growth is to be sure your parking lot is big enough. And in Hong Kong, of course, we were all laughing at that, saying, well, obviously we don't talk about parking lots here. We just talk about whether or not the bus system works well and goes near where you're meeting for worship. Well, the bus system didn't go where John was. John was out in the wilderness, and people still took the time, put in the effort, and went where he was, because apparently his message had built a reputation. His message was strong enough that people wanted to learn more about it. So they went where he was. And we have to realize that in his preaching, John was not preaching trying to say, look at me. Look at what a great job I'm doing. Become a follower of John. That was not his message in any way. We look in verse 6. It must have been clear as, as, as kind of boldness because we see that the people who went out to hear him were Jewish people. Now, see, that's the interesting part of this, about this whole repentance message. In, cha- in chapter 3, verse 2, it talks about how he dared to preach about repentance. Preaching about repentance is not particularly an exciting idea. And yet, he preached it, and he preached it to the Jewish people. Preaching about repentance to the Gentiles was perfectly normal, perfectly acceptable. He could do what he wanted But he was preaching to Jewish people who thought they were beyond sin. Who saw saw themselves as not needing that kind of a sermon. They were already religious people. They already went to their temple for worship. They already knew who God was. Everything in their mind was already pulled together for who they were. And yet John still said, as he looked at those people, it's not good enough. You're playing religion. I'm here to tell you, all of you who are playing religion have that problem. You do not know whom it is that you worship. He is not the Lord of your life. You must confess your sin, humble yourself, and repent. The reason I dare to look at the Scripture today and look at John's message is because I fear that I know other people, being you and me, not just you and me, that sometimes look at our lives and get a little too self-confident that everything's okay. When in fact, maybe we're a little prideful. Maybe we're a little bit too comfortable. Maybe we're a little bit too focused on ourselves. Maybe we believe that our religious life is already in good condition. Maybe we need to hear John's message For us, just as the Jewish people heard. When I look at John's message and I realize he dared to go to his own people and say to them, we are no better than those people outside this building. The ones that are out there all around us, we're no better. 
we have to confess our sin. Now, when we talk about sin, you know and I know the word is a little confusing. A lot of people talk about sin and they think about, oh, I did something bad towards someone else. I did something that uh, criticized someone else. The sin that was being preached by John, I have no idea how strong his words were. But I know they were powerful, they were direct, and they were clear. Because he told them about Jesus, and he told them they must repent. So for him, the word sin meant that there was a broken relationship between those people and God. A challenge that we must ask ourselves, what is our relationship? Beyond religion, but in our everyday walk, is Jesus Lord of our lives? Do we recognize that it is the most important relationship we have? And do we hunger to tell others about Jesus? This was John's message. Verse 2, sinners need to repent, for the kingdom is near. The Scripture, when it pushes this word, kingdom is near, the whole idea of kingdom mentality, this is a fairly new thought. It had been hundreds of years that, that, that really the kingdom had not been pushed. But John's out there preaching to them saying, God is going to take action in our lives, and it's soon. It's soon. If that's the case, repent. Change. Not just say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I've heard the word I'm sorry a thousand times. But the only time I'm sorry has any value is when it says, I'm going to make a change in my life and not let that happen again. That was John's message. John was saying, say you're sorry, but live as if you're sorry. Make a change. Repent. As we see John, as he presents this message, he dares to talk about sin. He dares to talk about change. He dares to talk to the Jewish people. Scripture says that as he was preaching and speaking to them, he looked out amongst the people and he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew his audience. Now, John didn't go preaching saying, I'm only going to preach to this particular group of people. He preached to whomever came, according to the Scripture. But he looked out and he saw Pharisees and Sadducees, and he looked at them and said, what in the world are you doing here? I wasn't expecting you. What are you here for? You're the religious guys. You're all, you've been playing as if you've been following God and everything was okay. And now you've come into the middle of this particular type of meeting and you're wanting to listen? I don't think so. See, John was sensitive to his congregation. He knew their needs and he dared speak to it. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know how you are about this, but when it comes to talking about sharing our testimony, most of us are very reluctant at a certain point. We talk about Christ all the way up to the point that we're afraid our words are going to offend somebody. And then we start kind of mentally trying to find a way to say it softer. 
In Chinese, we hate to use the word sin, Jay, because we know there's going to be a mentality toward that word that's going to make people uncomfortable. John said, if I don't say the word, I'm not being responsible. And I would say that to you and me. When we come in here to meet on a Sunday morning, I've thought many times, how do you preach? How do you share? How do, you, how do we talk in a church? Do we try to soften our message so it doesn't frighten people away? If we do that, we're being irresponsible to the Word of God. John said, I'm going to do what I have to do. If I am not honest and I am not clear, I'm not being a loving, responsible teacher. So John preached this message, and he knew it would offend them. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees listened to that with discomfort, I'm sure. And then he got to them and got to the real specific point and simply saying, you guys came here, and yet you know and I know you have no fruit. You have no evidence. You have no proof that you really have an intimate walk with God. You play religion? Yes. And you're good at it. You've memorized the rules. You know what you're supposed to do. You dress the right way. Look at me in my camel's hair, in my leather belt. I don't match up to what you guys want. I know you're not really serious about listening to my message, but it's okay. Because I know and you know that our messages are different. Your message is, live by certain rules, look in a certain way, act in a certain way, and you think everything will be okay between you and God. And I want to tell you that you should just look at your fruit. Give me some proof. Look at yourselves. Look closely. You know, actually, the challenge that He gave those people is a challenge for you and me as well. When was the last time you told anybody that Jesus loves them and wants to be their Savior and Lord, and if they will confess their sin and repent, that Jesus is righteous to come into their heart and to save them and give them meaning and purpose and a new direction. John is saying to them, you guys talk a good talk, but in reality... There's not much evidence that you really have the kind of walk you should have. We look at the Scripture there, kind of disappointing. We look at verse 7 and we see how John had to respond to these people. But the Scripture goes on and we see that uh, he moves beyond the fruit and he warns them that indeed there will be a day when judgment will come. And that God's patience does have a limit. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you, we really need to remind ourselves why we're here. Now, I love studying about different details in the Scripture, but I do think we do need to constantly come back to this thing of asking ourselves, do we understand who Jesus is? Do we know how to repent? And what are we going to do with that information? How are we going to change? Because John went on from there to say, those of you who do make a true commitment will be baptized. And you know, if we look in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it talks about going forth and baptizing in Jesus' name. 
In this scripture, it says John was the baptizer, the immerser. The one who went around and put people under the water saying, this is a testimony that you are new. That you're trying to follow Christ in all that you are. All that John did, very impressive. But there is a danger within John's testimony. The story doesn't end here as we know. Because in Mark we see what happened where Herod the Great had a couple of sons. And the two sons both had positions as being a king over a certain area. And one of the sons liked his brother's wife. And so he got that wife to come with him and to leave her husband. And John saw this circumstance, and John said, that's wrong. When a saying something's wrong can get you in trouble. And I want us, you and me, to remind ourselves, our loyalty, our lives, are not about length of time, but about continuity and being in clear commitment to the decision of following Christ. In John's case, he went ahead and he dared to say to that man, that particular Herod, he said to that Herod, he said, look, your lifestyle, what you're doing is wrong. And he told the woman, what you're doing is wrong. You are married to the brother, not to this man. And yet you have come over and started living with this one. Well, it was embarrassing to Herodias, this woman. She got frustrated with that. So as soon as she had a chance and a good excuse, she got her husband to put John in prison. While John was in prison... Some different situations and circumstances came along. And remember now, John, if you look in chapter 3, verses about 13 through 17 in there, we see that John baptized Jesus. And when the baptism of Jesus happened, that was when the, the skies opened, and suddenly, this is my well, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. So John knew Jesus was the Son of God. It was clear. And yet, we can look at what happened when John was in prison. Even he was struggling. He was sitting in prison saying, I don't get it. I try so hard to be on target with my life, to serve God with all that I am, to be faithful to Jesus, and still, here I am in prison. And he hears about Jesus outside, and he sends his friends. He contacts some of his disciples. He says, guys, go over and... Check this thing out and make sure this is really, truthfully, the Jesus that I serve. Clarify it for me. So the disciples of John went out and they talked to Jesus. And Jesus sent the disciples back to John while John was in prison, awaiting his future for being a faithful follower of Christ. And basically, what Jesus said to him is, be faithful, hang in there, don't give up, keep going forward, you are doing the right thing. He did not say, John, I will open the prison doors for you and you will be free. He did not say, everything's going great, no problem. 
But we can look and we can see the issues going on there. <coughs> and as we see this particular circumstance going on, the confusion that must have gone through John's head at that point, trying to understand, I've been faithful in every way, I don't understand. But then we also see in the Scripture where around that same time, Herodias, this woman that had switched from, one, from her real husband to her brother's wife, to become the wife of the brother, they had a party. And in the party, of course, we know the story. Salome, the daughter, from there, had a, did a dance, and then suddenly the, this second Herod uh, said, you know, uh, your dance was so good, I'll give you anything. He said, you deserve everything because you're so wonderful. And that's when the mother stepped in and said, okay, daughter, here's the thing. I want John's head. Well, the promise had been made, and John was beheaded. The problem with this is, what I want to remind us is, there is a cost to be paid if we are consistent. It's not free. Following Christ is not free. Following Christ is not empty. It's not easy. There is a hard gospel that we find in John's message. It is not a soft message designed for nice pews that sit on a Sunday morning. John's message is the message for the one who would dare to walk to the wilderness. John's message is for the ones who say, I am religious and I still need to repent. John's message is one that says, I want to use you not because I want things to be comfortable for you, but because I want to see you be relevant with your life. Brothers and sisters, if our church is full of people that are only pew sitters, we're failing. John's message said, get up and get out and do the ministry. Love people. Dare to be salt and light. Know though when you're being salt and light, there is a danger. Not everybody's going to like it. In John's case, they didn't like it all the way to the point that he lost his head on a platter. Following Christ is never easy. It's never logical. It's never comfortable. It's not without danger. It's not without conflict. It's not without going to a lot of meetings, if you're in our church. It's not without criticism and challenges. It's not necessarily civilized. In China, meeting with house church friends, one of the things that used to always impress me was how they would express that their desire was never to find comfort in following Christ. It was to find value of commitment in following Christ. Would it were that we in Canada would have that same hunger to be used of Christ, that we would be like what John has presented. People who would say, I will do whatever it takes to, be, to see the name of my Lord put forth in front of our society. Brothers and sisters, today I would ask for us to investigate and to evaluate and to look into our own hearts. We, every week, come and we worship. 
I don't know how the Holy Spirit works in your life. I don't know if He touches you when you hear the Scripture. But the Scripture is the only part of this message that's really, really important. I don't try to make the Scripture become more valuable than it already is because the Scripture speaks for itself. But I would ask that we would look at what John said and we would realize that the the challenge is for us to know who Jesus is to be willing to change and give ourselves fully to Him and to be baptized. Baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptized by the energy that Christ would give us. We have water baptism. That was what was modeled in in the Scripture. John baptized the people as a symbol of what the Holy Spirit had done in their lives. It was important to them. Today, this morning, even now, I'd like for us to take a moment to look into our own hearts. If we had more time, I'd ask you to come to the front. Certainly, if you have something in your heart where you feel like there's something that needs a little more time, take the time to pray. Ask me to pray with you. We will look and see where we need to go. But first, I want to pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we look at the testimony of John. We see the boldness of this man. We saw that he was the prepared one, the one that was coming to share what was to come after him, being Jesus. We saw a man who that risked his life all the way to the point that he became a martyr. That it was beyond just risk but it took Him to action. Father, we come at this time not just to have a group of people together saying we've had a worship service. We come at this time asking Your Holy Spirit to reach into our hearts and to help us change. Help us know the joy of repentance and the pain of repentance. Help us to know what it is to truly call Jesus the Lord of our lives. Father, help us to see beyond a lengthy life to the point that we see an important, well-used life. And Father, whatever we do that we would recognize we don't want to waste the time You've given us. Father, we thank You that You have given us brothers and sisters to gather together and serve You in this place. So we ask that You would teach us and You would direct us and You would give us our meaning. Father, help us to look around us and have spiritual eyes and then to take the actions that we need to in Your name.